Well, let's ask God to speak to us through this part of the Bible. Father, we thank you for your word to us, written for us, that we can read and look at, and that as we do that, that you speak to us through it. And Father, we thank you for that promise. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that as we come to look at this part of Nehemiah, that again, you'd speak to us as you have been, encourage us or challenge us, or do whatever you want to do in our lives and hearts and minds this morning. But have your way with us, we pray, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Within every professional team sport, there are some managers who are completely and utterly outstanding. Some of them are outstanding because of the tactics they put into place, because of their ability to plan ahead and know what's coming in the game. Some of them are outstanding of their knowledge of the sport and of their knowledge of the opposing teams. And some of them are outstanding because they can motivate and encourage their players to play to the very best of their ability. But if an outstanding manager has no team to play for him, then he can achieve nothing. You see, without a team, without a a group of committed players, a football manager or a rugby manager can achieve nothing. And this morning, what we're going to see in this part of Nehemiah is how God's people worked as a team under Nehemiah's leadership to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And this morning, the the whole passage is here to encourage us to be a team of God's people working together for the upbuilding of his kingdom for his glory. If you're joining us this morning and you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, let me very quickly try to fill you in in just one minute of what's happened so far. Uh, Nehemiah, he was a man who lived in the Persian Empire. He lived in a city called Susa. He was a civil servant. He was cupbearer to the king. He had an important job. But Nehemiah, he wasn't a Persian. He was one of God's people. And his homeland was the kingdom of Judah. And the capital of that city was Jerusalem. And one day, Nehemiah is sitting in Susa when his brother visits from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah says to him, how are things going? And his brother says, Nehemiah, things are terrible back home. The people are far from God and the walls of the city are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. It's just a terrible mess. And Nehemiah, his heart is broken. And God gives him this burden to to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city. And so Nehemiah, he goes to his boss, the king, and he, he tells the king what's wrong. And the king says, okay, Nehemiah, you can go and I'm gonna give the provisions that you need to rebuild the city. And so last week when we met Nehemiah, he was just setting off for Jerusalem. He was just setting off for his hometown. Well, well, this morning what we see is that Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. We see him kind of galloping in on his horse, arriving in the city. And what we're going to see is that in verses 11 to 20, Nehemiah does three things whenever he arrives. And this morning we're going to look at those three things in verses 11 to 20 of chapter 2. And the first thing Nehemiah does is he gets to work quickly. He gets to work quickly. Nehemiah hits the ground running when he arrives in Jerusalem. In 1999, um, the the, the councillors in my local council area of Bangor had this wonderful idea. They were going to redevelop and rebuild Queen's Parade. 
Queen's Parade in Bangor, if you've not been, it used to be a lovely, lovely street. The seawall was opposite it. It was full of ice cream parlors and restaurants. It was a, a real vibrant area. It was beautiful. But in the 1990s, well, it started to go down a little bit. Started to become a bit grubby. A lot of kind of gambling things opened up in the front and bookmakers. And so the local council said, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to rebuild it. We're going to redevelop it. It's going to be beautiful. And so they bought up all of the, the kind of storefronts and they brought up the whole place. They've still not started working on it. Over 20 years later, if you drive down Queen's Parade today in Bangor, it's, it's just awful. It's awful. But Nehemiah, he's very unlike North Dunnard's council. Whenever he arrives in Jerusalem, he gets on with the work straight away. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men. He doesn't even take a week to settle down. You can imagine all of the boxes that he's brought with him from Susie. They're still piled up in the house that he's renting because his house hasn't even been built yet. He starts the work straight away. Three days in, he starts the work that God has given him to do. And, and in a minute or two, we're going to see what he did with the three men. But what I want you to see here is that Nehemiah did not hang around. When it came to doing what God was calling him to do, he didn't delay. He'd heard God's voice. He'd heard God's command. He, he'd heard it in his heart. He knew what he had to be doing. And he didn't put it off. He did it with a matter of urgency. You see, rebuilding Jerusalem, to him it was urgent. There was no time to lose. Jerusalem's walls had been broken down for long enough. It was now time to do something to sort the broken walls out. Folks, in life there, there are things where there's no rush on them. There are things in our lives and they're not urgent and they're not important, and we can take our time and do them at our leisure. But folks, there are some things that are absolutely urgent. There are some things that we must do immediately. There are some things that we cannot put off doing. What are those things? They're the things that God is calling you to do, and they're the things that you will regret if you don't do. What are the things that you need to do urgently this morning? You need to do the things that God is calling you to do and the things that you will regret if you do not do. The book of Proverbs, it's full of wisdom for everyday life. And one of the Proverbs says this. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And what that proverb is trying to tell us is that if there's things that we're putting off for tomorrow that we really should do today, we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. We're not guaranteed to be able to do the things we're putting off tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Nehemiah got this. God's called me to this work. I can't put it off. This is urgent. I must do it now. Folks, are there things that God is telling you to do, has been telling you to do that you're putting off? 
or the things the Lord has been burdening you with, laying heavy on your heart, pressing you to do that you have been putting off. Because what Nehemiah is telling us here is not to do that. There are some things, folks, we need to not put off. And the most urgent thing this morning is if you're here and you're not trusting Jesus as your forgiver, if you're here this morning and you believe the Christian message and you believe that Christ died for you on the cross and you believe he can give you everlasting life and you believe that he's got a lovely life laid out for you if you'd follow him, but for whatever reason you're putting it off, stop. Stop. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you feel called to follow Christ, start following him immediately. For we do not know what tomorrow may bring. Or maybe you're here this morning and it's not so much that you know that God's calling you to do something, but there are things in your life that you know if you don't sort now, you'll regret it. Maybe you're here this morning and your marriage is struggling. Maybe you're here this morning and it's under a lot of pressure. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you just haven't been bothered to put the time in that you know you need to. Folks, that's urgent. If you don't take time now to, to repair it, to rebuild it, you'll regret it because as it goes on and on and on, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're in an estranged relationship from a friend or a family member. Someone who you love dearly. Someone who you know you need to go back to and to, to reconcile things with or to fix things with or to try to repair things with because if you don't, you know you're going to regret it. Folks, if that's you, don't put it off because you don't know what tomorrow might bring. Or maybe you've got people in your life who, who don't know Christ and they don't know the gospel and, and you feel like you need to tell them about Jesus even though you feel a bit scared about that. Don't put it off. Go and do it because you do not know what tomorrow might bring. When Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, he's in with the work he's getting on with God's called him to do within three days of his arrival. And folks, maybe thinking about our own situation here for a little bit. We know as a congregation that we're under a viewable tenure, don't we? We know that we're going to be reviewed now in three and a half years. That's coming quick, isn't it? And folks, what I want us to be able to do is that at the end of that tenure, to turn around and say, we didn't waste a second. We did everything we could. We, we went for it 100%. We didn't put things off, but we did the things that God was calling us to do. And I know for some of you, maybe the changes over the past 18 months have been hard. Maybe you've struggled with the pace of change in the church. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for letting that happen. Thank you for supporting that change. Thank you for getting on board with that. I don't want any of us to look back in three and a half years and think to ourselves, you know what, if only we'd done that. So thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your support. 
Nehemiah, when he arrives, he, he gets on with the work quickly. The second thing we see Nehemiah do is he, he then goes out and he assesses the walls. That's what he does at night with these men after three days. He goes out and he assesses the walls. If you've ever brought a house, you know that to get a mortgage, you need to have the house surveyed, don't you? And a surveyor goes in and, you know, this lovely house that looks so good, the surveyor goes in and he comes back at the end of the survey and he's this big long list of stuff that's wrong with it. And it frightens you. Oh my goodness, I didn't recognize things were in that bad a shape. And that's what Nehemiah does. He goes out and he assesses the walls. He goes out and he assesses what needs rebuilt. He assesses what's damaged. He assesses what needs to be restored. And you see that in verses 12 to 16. Just 13 alone will tell you. Have a look at verse 13. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. He examines the walls. It's interesting, isn't it? Before he gets to work on fixing them, before he gets to the work of repairing them, he takes some time to examine them, to look at them in detail, to assess how they really are. Nehemiah could have been so busy just starting to build, but before building, he, he stops and it's interesting, he goes at night. Maybe he was very busy during the day and, and couldn't get time, so he carves out the time at night to go and do this. But he carves out the time to assess the walls. Folks, let me ask you something. Do you ever take time out? Do you ever carve the time out? Do you ever make the time in your schedule to assess your life? Do you ever take some time out just to think about how your life is going? Do you ever take some time just to consider the, the things in your life and what's important and what you're doing? Do you ever assess your priorities, what's important to you? Do you ever assess your goals? Do you ever assess your, your money management? Do you ever assess your relationships? Do you ever assess your values? Do you ever assess your ambitions? Do you ever assess how your home life is going? Do you ever assess how you use your time? Do you ever assess your spiritual health? I don't know about you, but I think in the busyness of life, we can be so busy doing, 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 doing everything that's in front of us that we don't take time to stop and to think how we're doing and to think what we're doing and to think why we're doing certain things. And it's the same in church life, isn't it? We're so busy doing church things. We're so busy with our organizations and our activities that sometimes we can fail to stop and assess them and to look at them and, and ask what's going well here or what could be better or what do we need to stop doing or what do we need to restart doing? It's interesting, isn't it? When Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, he, he carves out the time and he assesses the conditions of the wall. Folks, I wonder what would happen in your life if you sat down for an hour, just one hour, and started to assess your life, to take some time to, to think about your life. I wonder what would happen if you sat down for a while and asked yourself, how am I doing as a Christian just now? How is my relationship with God at this time? 
What needs to be rebuilt in my spiritual life? Or if we sat down and we asked ourselves, what are the priorities in my life just now? What are the most important things to me in my life just now? And then ask the question, are these good priorities? Are these the priorities that God has given to me? Or maybe what would happen if we sat down and we looked about the different roles that we played and we considered how we're doing at those. How am I doing as a spouse? How am I doing as a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a grandmother, a grandfather? How am I doing as an aunt, an uncle, an employer, an employee? How am I doing as an elder, as a minister? How am I doing? Those questions can seem a bit uncomfortable, can't they? But what we don't want to do is to be so busy getting on with life, doing things, doing things, doing things, and get to the end of it and look back and go, do you know what? I spent it on the wrong things. We don't want to get to the end of our life and look back and say, do you know what? I should have given more time to that. So can I encourage you to, to stop, carve time out, and assess your life. Assess how it's going. Assess where it's going. Having done the assessment, having worked out what work needed to be done, the next thing that we see Nehemiah do is share this brilliant vision of rebuilding. Have a look at verses 17 and 18. Then, after assessing the walls, I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. I love this. Nehemiah has assessed the walls and he said, you know what? They're really badly damaged. The, the whole thing needs repaired. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't, but you know what? That's just too hard. We're never going to be able to do that. Instead, he stands up and he stands up in front of the people and he says, do you know what? The walls are in ruins but let's get up and rebuild. Let's get up and, and rebuild these broken down walls. They've been broken down for long enough. He shares the vision of, of what he wants to do under God's leadership. He wants to rebuild the walls and he wants the people to be involved. He wants them to be his team. He wants them to get in on the action. He wants them to do it together. And I just love the reply. Look at verse 18. They replied, let us start rebuilding. Okay, Nehemiah, let's do it. You and us will be a team and we'll rebuild these walls. Let's do it, Nehemiah. We're in. We're all in. Whatever needs done, we are up for it. And folks, that's how we need to be with this church. We need to be all in. We need to be up for it. Up for the challenge of rebuilding and restoring and redeveloping and building new things in this church. It's no secret that I believe God isn't finished with us here. Three and a half years, yes, we're going to be reviewed, but it's no secret that I do not believe that God is finished with us. Maybe he is, but, but I don't think he is. 
It's no secret that I believe that God actually wants to use us in this community to reach people for Christ. It's no secret I've made that known since the start. It's no secret that I believe that God wants to rebuild our congregation to bring more people and to build us up into a stronger body of Christ in this area. It's no secret that I believe that. But folks, if we're, if we're gonna see that, if we're gonna see a rebuilding of this place, we all need to be involved. We all need to be up for it. We all need to be on board. We all need to be with the attitude of, okay, let's rebuild. Let's do this. Let's get involved. Folks, we all need to be involved. We need to pray for this church. And I mean really pray for it. I mean every day. I mean at home. We need to be praying for our congregation and for our witness in this community. And we need to give towards the work of our, of our treasure that the Lord has given to us. We need to give to the work. And we need to serve. We need to use our, our talents and our skills and our abilities to, to serve, to do the work. And that's what I love about chapter three. Because that's what we see in action. We see the people of God working together to rebuild Jerusalem. And whenever you read chapter 3, if you read the rest of it at home, it really does just read like a list of very hard to pronounce names, lots of very strange areas in Jerusalem, and really all it says is they rebuilt this part, they rebuilt this part, they rebuilt this part. And you could go and you could just skim over this part of the Bible and say it's irrelevant, but it's not. Because in this chapter, we see all hands on deck. We see everybody involved in rebuilding Jerusalem. And what we see are a number of principles that we need to remember as we come to serve God in the church. And there are four principles we need to remember. And the first one is this. It's that all work is holy work. All work in the church is holy work. I don't know about you, but whenever I wasn't a minister and I thought of the work of the church, in my mind, there were, there were two types of work. There was the holy work and there was just the general things that needed done. So the minister, oh, he did the holy work. You know, he, he preached the Bible and he, he, he took a discipleship group. He did the holy work. And the singers, well, they did a holy work because they were at the front and, and they led the music. That was a holy work. They were helping people worship God. And then there were people who, who went out and taught Sunday school and they did the holy work. But me, well, I, I didn't do the holy work. Do you know what I did? The, the first church I belonged to, do you know what my job was on a Sunday morning? I cleaned the toilets before people arrived. You know, so there was all those people doing the holy work and then I just did some of the stuff that needed to be done. But what this passage shows us is that all spheres of work in the church is holy work. Everything we do, every act of service is for God and for the upbuilding of his kingdom, even the most menial of tasks. And where do we see this? We see this in verses 1 to 3, well, verses 1 anyway of, of chapter 3. Look at who is building the wall. We've got Eliashib, the high priest. Now, the high priest, he was the most holy of holy men. He was the man who offered the sacrifices. He was the man who went into the holy of holies. He was the most holy man in the whole of the community of God's people. 
And this holy man, do you see what he's doing? He's building the wall. He's getting his hands dirty. He's laying up brick and mortar. He's building the wall of Jerusalem. But if you look at the text, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And then look at the next thing it says. It says, they dedicated it. In the Hebrew, it's they consecrated it. They, they set it aside as holy. They, they declared it as something holy. Something done for the Lord. Something special to him. And then they go on and they, they build the, the Torah of a hundred onto the next bit and they consecrated it. They dedicated it. You see, this work that the priest was doing of rebuilding and, and the work that every person was doing on the wall, it was holy work. If you had looked at them, they're just laying bricks. If you just look at them, it, it doesn't look overly spiritual or, or overly sort of holy. But it was all for the upbuilding of the walls. It was all holy work. And folks, what I want you to know is that whatever you do for the upbuilding of the kingdom, if you make tea to help people feel welcome on a Sunday night, that's holy work. If you hoover the carpets so the place is clean to give a good impression when people walk in, that is holy work. If you stand at the door and shake people's hands and say, welcome to Ravenhill, you're welcoming people in, that is a holy work. If you flick over the slides and the PowerPoints up at the back there, that is a holy work. If you change the microphone to make it louder or quieter, that is a holy work. Do you see the picture here? If you serve in the crash, if you set out chairs, whatever you do in this place is a work that is pleasing to God and required by God and consecrated to God. It is a holy, holy work. And the reason I'm saying that is because I want you to have that in your mind. I want you to have that in your mind as you make the tea, as you shake hands. You're not doing this just because it needs done. You're doing this because the Lord is having you do it. Can you do that? Can you look at your work in the church as holy? Eventually, I got to understand that cleaning the toilets was a holy work. It took a wee while. But eventually, I got this. And I'm not kidding. The difference between understanding that it was just something that needed done and it was something I could do, was doing to serve the Lord, it changed my complete outlook on it. And I'm honestly not lying when I say that Sunday mornings, I found it a joy to clean the toilets. Because this was part of kingdom work. Folks, please know that the work you do here, it's pleasing to God and it's holy and it's needed. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing that we see is that whenever we're serving in the church, whenever we're serving God's kingdom, sometimes we have to play out of position. I'm a big football fan and um, one of the things that I find quite hilarious is whenever a goalkeeper gets sent off, uh, and the team have no substitutes left, so the goalkeeper has been sent off. And so what happens is that a defender or a midfielder comes to the back and he puts on the goalkeeper's jersey. And he stands there terrified of any shot that's going to come his way. 
But what I find even more amazing is that sometimes, even though he's out of position, that goalkeeper, that kind of makeshift goalkeeper does a brilliant job. He would never choose to be a Nets. He doesn't really like being a Nets, but yet he needs to be a Nets. And what is amazing is time and time again, how this player out of position does a fantastic job of saving goals. And here what we see in this long list is that people played out of position. They were building walls when really they weren't used to that and maybe didn't feel particularly gifted at it. Look at verse 8. Look who we've got repairing the walls there. We've got Uziel, son of Harari, one of the goldsmiths. And then look, we've got Hananiah, one of the perfume makers. Made repairs next to that. Now, I hope none of you are perfume makers or, or goldsmiths. But if you are, your hands are very soft, aren't they? Soft hands, no calluses. You know, you make perfume and you make gold and it's lovely. But laying bricks, you know, getting calluses on your hand, getting these cuts and lifting them and putting them in place and all the muck and the dirt of the mortar, I mean, that is not your kind of forte. But yeah, that's what they did. They, they saw what needed to be done. They, they saw what needed to be done. And what they did was, even though it wasn't their forte, they played out of position and they built the wall. They built the wall. And folks, what I want to say to you is, is two things. The, the first thing is this. Is that in an ideal world, God would have a role for you in the church that would exactly meet your gifts and your personality. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? That, that, that there would be a role just so made for you that only you could fit it and it would be this perfect piece of the jigsaw and you'd fit in and you'd feel comfortable and snug and it would be perfect for you. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But the reality is that that's not how it is in the life of the church. God calls us to serve out of position. And what I want to say to you folks is that if you see an opportunity to get involved but you think, you know what, that's not really my thing, please don't let that put you off. If there's something that needs done in the church and you can do it, can I encourage you to go for it even if it's not exactly your thing? And the second thing I want to say is that, do you know whenever you do that, do you know what you're going to see? You're going to see God working. You're going to look at that role and you're going to say, this is something I didn't think I could do. It's something I didn't feel particularly gifted in. I didn't think that I could do well. And do you know what? I still don't feel that, but yet I'm seeing God at work. The perfume makers and the goldsmiths were used by God to build the wall. And over these next months and weeks, maybe you're going to see opportunities to serve within our church. And what I want to encourage you to do is to consider those even if you don't feel they exactly fit your gifting. Another thing that we see then in this long list is that your past doesn't rule out present service. If you have a look at verse 11, you're going to see a man called Malachijah. I won't ask you to put up your hands if you've ever heard of Malachijah because my guess is you haven't. But Malachijah we find in the book of Ezra. And Malachijah is named there because he did something that he wasn't supposed to do. He, he took a wife who was not one of his people. He took a wife who followed other gods. He disobeyed the Lord. He made a mistake. And yet we fast forward into the future when Nehemiah arrives and what we see here is that Malachijah is being used by God. His past didn't rule out present service. 
Maybe you're here this morning and for some reason you feel like you couldn't possibly serve the Lord at the minute. And the reason is because of things in your past. Maybe mistakes. Maybe a poor attitude. Maybe because you blew up some relationships in the church. Maybe for different reasons you feel like your past is hindering from serving in the present. That's not the case. Do you remember who God is? God's the one who takes our past mistakes and our past sins and he nails them to the cross and he forgets about them and he forgives them. And this morning, if you're here and you're letting your past stop you serving in the present, you need to forgive yourself. You need to forget about the past and get on with what God is calling you to do today. Please, folks, don't let your past stop you serving in the present. And the last thing we see, and very quickly is this, is that God may have more for you to do. If you have a look at verse 27, you're going to see there that we're told the men of Tekoa repaired another section. They just repaired a bit back, back then in the, earlier cha- in the earlier verses. And then in verse 27, we're told they repaired another section. God had more for these men to do. And folks, if you're here this morning and you're sitting and you're hearing me talk about serving in the church and you're thinking, well, Marty, you know, I used to do that, but I'm retired now. You know, I've, I've stepped back now and, and, and I don't think the Lord has anything more for me to do. He might. He might. And all I want to say is please be open to that. If you're sitting here this morning and you have kind of feel like you're in re- your retirement in the church, that you've finished all the work God has for you to do, please be aware that he might have another section for you to complete. There is no retirement age in church. Sorry. If you're an older saint here this morning and the Lord is calling you to new service, why not do it? Why not step out in faith and do it? And see him use you. See him use you mightily at this stage in your life. Folks, I love this passage the people under Nehemiah's leadership, they say, yes, we're in. They're all in and they give themselves to the work. And as I finish, my question to you is this, will you give yourself to the work here? Will you give yourself to the work that God has for us to do in this place? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you're doing a work in our church and through our church. And we are thrilled by that. But Father, we would ask this morning that you would help us all to to get on board and to serve you in whatever way you're calling us to. Help us to step up to the challenge. Whatever it is you want us to do, help us in faith to step out and step up to do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.